2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, give ear to the word of God. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of, of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I might be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, and faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Well, if you were here last Sunday, we looked at uh, briefly the first two verses, which are kind of the opening greeting of the letter from Paul to Timothy. Um, here in our text, as he starts to get into the body of the letter, um, he kind of starts to get right to the point. He expresses his great love for his son in the faith, his desire to see him again before his impending martyrdom in Rome. But he also spends time and, and starts to exhort him to faithfully carry on the ministry that God had called him to even in the face of suffering and persecution for the gospel. So that's that's kind of the theme of the whole letter. And Paul's starting to get into that now. He's exhorting Timothy to faithfulness in serving Christ in the ministry of the gospel and suffering for the gospel of Christ, as we're going to see as we go through this letter, is a constant theme throughout Second Timothy. And that sobering reality of suffering for the gospel of Christ even if it's not in the verses that, you know, individual verses we go through at the time, you almost have to keep that theme in the back of your head as you read, because it kind of colors and informs everything that Paul says, all of his exhortations to Timothy throughout this letter, even as you get later in the book and he talks about preaching the word and all these things, all of that is, is told to Timothy in light of the persecution that may and very well may come his way in the midst of it. So, not only was the Apostle Paul suffering for the sake of the name of Christ, he was in prison when he wrote this. He was on what we would think of as death row when he wrote this, as we'll see later in the book. Uh, not only was Paul suffering, but Paul wants to make sure Timothy realizes, and he probably did already, that as he followed in Paul's footsteps in the ministry, he too may and probably will have to endure suffering as well. And that, that is something that we should keep in mind today as well. You know, it's, it's uh, easy in our day, uh, it's not as easy as it used to be, but it's, it's been easy throughout my life at least to look at the gospel ministry in our country and, and Canada and elsewhere uh, as, as being kind of a very respectable vocation, a respectable calling, not one that usually is filled with uh, persecution and suffering, but as we've seen over the past couple of years, someplace, sometimes here in our country and we've seen up in Canada a number of of godly men, godly pastors, put in prison for the simple act of keeping their churches open. And unless God intervenes, that kind of thing may get worse and worse uh, and be something we've never had to see uh, in our history uh, of our country. But that is something that if we are going to bear witness to Christ in our day, in our land even, we may see the reality of suffering and persecution begin to ramp up uh, as well. So Paul Paul wastes no time mentioning in mentioning suffering. In, in the opening chapter, one verse after the text that we're looking at, 
in verse 8 of chapter 1, this is what he tells Timothy. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. And then what does he say? But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. You could say that's a theme of the letter in some ways. Not only was Timothy not to be ashamed of the gospel, he was not to be ashamed of Paul himself for the sake of his current sufferings on, on account of his ministry of the gospel. But Timothy was called in no uncertain terms here to share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So we will, Lord willing, go into that text more in detail next week. But I just wanted to bring it up now because that's, that's the context of Paul's instructions here in our text. That's where it goes, that's where it goes uh, to. It is, is talking about enduring suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So the first thing that we see in our text this morning uh, is Paul's supplications or prayers for Timothy. Paul's supplications or prayers for Timothy. In verses 3 to 4, look there again. He says to Timothy, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors or forefathers, with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Not to belabor the point too much, but, for, you know, think again where Paul is when he writes this. And that Timothy knows certainly full well Paul's circumstances, Paul's impending execution, if, if nothing had changed uh, there in Rome. And here Paul is telling Timothy how much he's praying for Timothy. I don't know about you, but if, if I were in jail uh, on death row for preaching the gospel, I'd be praying for me a lot. And Paul is praying for Timothy and tells him that constantly he prays for him night and day. No doubt Timothy's tears that Paul mentions in those verses were, were mainly shed over Paul's situation, Paul's suffering and affliction over being separated from Timothy for the time being as he suffered and awaited his eventual martyrdom in Rome. And yet Paul prayed for Timothy, and he thanked God for Timothy, and he thought of him and prayed for him, as he says, constantly, night and day. Paul didn't waste his insomnia. He prayed for Timothy. Think about the encouragement that must have been for Timothy to hear that, you know, we often say things like that. You ever, you ever say, you know, I'm praying for you, brother, I'm praying for your sister, and then you forget to pray for them? You know, we often say when you meet somebody, how are you, and without thinking, it's just kind of like your brain's on autopilot. I'm fine. You know, you don't, or, or they say, every once in a while, I don't do this anymore, but I used to say something else to see if they were listening. They asked how I was. I would say something very specific and other than fine and to see if they, oh, that's great. You know, no, I just said I'm going through, you know, um, don't, don't play tricks on each other. That was kind of mean of me, but I don't do that anymore. <laughs> but just to check to see if it's been for Timothy to hear that. That with all of Paul's afflictions and problems and sufferings for the gospel, even with his martyrdom looming large on the horizon, Paul's thoughts and prayers were towards Timothy and his well-being. Paul concerned himself with the prayer uh, in prayer with the needs of other people. Um, even the, the continuance of the gospel ministry after his departure, you know, in some ways that's what Paul is doing. He's passing the baton to Timothy and he's praying for him that he will remain faithful and taking on that ministry after Paul departs. Think about the example this is for us to seek to emulate in our praying for one another. If Paul 
if Paul was so constant in prayer for Timothy, even in his situation, even in thanksgiving in that prayer, while he was in such dire straits, how more should you and I uh, be devoted in prayer for each other? I don't know about you, I'm not suffering the way Paul was, not even remotely in the same universe as that. And yet, how much do I pray for others, and how much do I thank God for others? We should be praying, uh, devoted in prayer for one another. We should be thanking God for each other in Christ. And so I ask this morning, do you pray for your brothers and sisters in the Lord? And one of the, one of the reasons that we, you know, we go through these updates and, and prayer requests in church is that everybody is aware, hopefully, of, of what's going on in people's lives so we might be better suited and equipped to pray for them. Do you thank God for those who you pray for, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ? When you pray for them, do you thank God for them? You know, Paul thanks God for Timothy. Why? For his sincere faith. Now, why does Paul thank God for Timothy's faith? Because it's a God-given faith. Every believer in Christ you will ever meet in this church or anywhere else, it's a miracle of God. If God hadn't granted repentance and faith by the work of his spirit, they would still be dead in their sins. That's, that's the case for all of us. And so when you meet another believer, you don't think, well, it's good that they were smart enough to hear the gospel and believe. You think God was gracious enough to grant them saving faith and repentance in Christ. So we should thank God for them at all times. We pray for them. And this, lastly, does the thought of seeing your brothers and sisters in Christ, does the thought of that fill you with joy? And Paul couldn't wait to see Timothy again. And that's what he prayed for. And when you think of church, when you think of gathering on the Lord's Day, are you, are you looking forward to seeing each other, your brothers and sisters in Christ? That should be one of the aspects of the highlight of our week in worshiping the Lord, is seeing each other, seeing our brothers and sisters, our family in the Lord. That's, that is what church life in some ways should be like. That's how the household of God uh, should conduct ourselves toward each other in prayer and thanksgiving for each other. Now, Paul says something you might have thought sounded a little bit odd in the text in verse 3. He says that he served God, quote, as did his ancestors with a clear conscience. Why does Paul bring that up here? Did, 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 when you read that, were you like, why does he, why does he say that? What's, you know, it seems like a, almost like a strange thing to kind of bring up in the midst of all this. Now, you have to keep in mind again, Remember last week, if you were here, we looked at the fact that Paul starts the letter off by saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ, and he's writing to Timothy, whom, whom he calls his true child in the faith, or his child, his uh, true child, uh, his spiritual son, so to speak. Now, this was not just a private letter. This was not just meant for Timothy, you know, to, to use a manner of speaking, to, to tuck in the back of his Bible, so to speak, and hide for his own use. It was meant to be read to the church. It'd be meant to be read to other churches as well. And so it was a public letter, even if it was it was addressed to one person particularly. And so when you read that, did, did Paul think that Timothy in any way questioned uh, Paul's sincerity of serving the Lord? No. Did, did he question that Paul was an apostle? No. Did he question who wrote the letter to him? Of course not. Timothy in no way questioned Paul's conduct in serving the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. But there were no doubt some, even some, sad to say, in the church who may have seen Paul's sufferings and thought that somehow he had brought those sufferings upon himself. I would love to think that that would not be the case. But I think experience uh, has led me to think that that is probably what was happening 
I can remember uh, in the past two years, in thinking about the pandemic, the lockdowns, I remember these pastors in Canada being imprisoned and Reformed Christians criticizing them, basically saying, well, they had it coming because they didn't do what the government said. Well, they kept their churches open. What were they thinking? That is how Reformed professing believers acted when they were in prison. Not many, not most, thank God, but some very vocal ones criticized them for the simple act of having the, the, the goal to keep a church open in the midst of these things for people to worship the Lord and gather and not neglect the gathering together of the church. That stuff happens. John MacArthur, his church up in, up in L.A., uh, when they when they decided to stay open, they took all kinds of flack, and I saw many Christians saying, well, basically, they had it coming. So even in Paul's situation, you can't help but think that some people might have been thinking, you know, Paul, I told you to tone it down. I told you not to make trouble for yourself. And so Paul is, is expressing that all might know, even through Timothy, that he served God with a clear conscience, even as his ancestors, his forefathers, had done. If you think about the fact as you read the book of, of Acts, many of Paul's most vicious and ruthless opponents and persecutors were those among his own countrymen, those among the unbelieving Jews. And no doubt it was some of them that probably accused him of having apostatized from the faith of his fathers in preaching the gospel of Christ. And so Paul, at the outset of this letter, as he often did, uh, made sure that he made it known that he served God with a clear conscience, just as his forefathers had done. In other words, he wasn't preaching some strange new faith. He wasn't preaching some strange new false god. He was not founding some new cult and contradicting the law of Moses. John Calvin writes this. He says, he, Paul, says this. In other words, says that he served God with a clear conscience as his fathers had done. He says this in opposition to those well-known slanderous accusations brought against him by Jews everywhere that he had forsaken the religion of his people and become an apostate from the law of Moses. He declares that on the contrary, he worships the God of whom he had been taught by his fathers, the God of Abraham, who revealed himself to the Jews, who gave his law by the hand of Moses, and not some newfangled God newly invented by himself. That's what he was accused of. That is probably the kind of accusation that led to his martyrdom. And Paul's saying, it's not true. John Stott likewise writes the following. He says, of course, his faith, Paul's faith, had become richer, fuller, and deeper when God had revealed Christ to him. Yet, it was substantially the same faith as that of the Old Testament believers like Abraham and David, as he had argued in Romans 4, for it was the same God in whom they had all believed. Paul's faith was not some faith that was foreign to the Old Testament saints. And when you read the book of Romans, it doesn't take long to figure that out. Who does he hold up as the prototypical person of faith in the Messiah? Abraham. Abraham. Paul had not departed from the faith of the Old Testament saints. He had believed in it and was preaching it even then. It was they, his opponents, who really didn't believe at all. When you read the book of Acts, and I, I encourage you to do that again, to, as, you, as you read through this book, I think that will be helpful to color your appreciation of what Paul was going through. When you read through the book of Acts, who do you see persecuting Paul from one city to the next? 
They weren't even content to just throw him out of their own city. They would follow him from place to place to stop him from preaching the gospel. And they were they were under the, the influence of Satan in doing that. But it was the unbelieving Jews, his own countrymen, that were doing that. They they followed him from place to place, causing trouble for him wherever he went preaching the gospel of Christ. In fact, for example, Acts chapter 19, verses 30, uh, sorry, Acts 13, 49 to 50, rather. It says, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. If it stopped there, that would be great. But it goes on and it says, But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing, and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Like, that's what they did. And then a few verses later in the very next chapter, Acts 14, 1 through 7, it says this. So they go to the next town, right? Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed, here it is again, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some of the apostles, when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Lystra is where Paul met Timothy. So Timothy knew full well about Paul's sufferings from the jump. The first time he met him, probably, was as a result of Paul being chased from one city to the city of Lystra. When you read the rest of the book of Acts, you see that same pattern repeated over and over and over again in many ways. Wherever the gospel was going, Paul uh, was preaching the gospel and God was saving sinners by the power of the gospel. And every time that happened, Satan stirred up persecution and even violence. Satan was not content to let that go. And so we must not be surprised when trouble comes while God is blessing his word unto the conversion of sinners. Where God is at work, you can be sure Satan will stir up trouble and problems. And the, the devil is, is troubled enough when God is at work to bring resistance against the workers of the gospel in many ways. So where God is at work, it might not be all peace and quiet. It might not all be easiness and light. And so sometimes we, you know, oh, we don't want trouble, we don't want problems. But sometimes God brings, God allows those things to happen. Uh, but he's at work. And so trouble isn't always a bad sign. Sometimes trouble means God is at work and Satan is disturbed. And may that be the case more often than it is now. Well, the second thing that we see in our text is Paul's mention of the sincerity of Timothy's faith. Look at verse 5 again. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. I think what Paul is kind of getting at here is he's sort of hinting, I think, that he's saying kind of like this, Timothy, you remind me of me. I serve God with sincerity like my forefathers did, and look what you're doing. You're serving God just like your mother and your grandmother did before you. Just as Paul served God with a clear conscience the same way his forefathers had done, verse 4, even so Timothy's sincere faith 
In verse 5 here, his faith in Christ had dwelt first in his grandmother and in his mother. Acts, this is Acts day. Acts 16.1, it tells us that Timothy was, quote, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So Timothy's kind of a mixed home, so to speak. Timothy's father was probably not a believer, at least not at first, but his mother and his grandmother brought him up in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. He was brought up to believe in Christ. And so this morning, uh, if you are a mom or a grandmom or a great-grandmother, uh, don't underestimate the godly influence that you may have upon your children and grandchildren by the grace and mercy of God. God is often well pleased to bless the efforts that you make uh, to raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, to bring them to saving a saving knowledge of Christ. And in Timothy's case, you can imagine his grandmother, his mother, did they think for one hot second that Timothy was going to grow up to be a pastor, to be a preacher of the gospel, and to be kind of the apprentice to the Apostle Paul? Probably the last thing they thought, in fact, they might have been a little bit worried about. When Paul came to town and Timothy, you know, started following Paul around, they thought, oh, you know, where Paul goes, there's trouble. But they apparently were okay with it and blessed him as he went on. But, you know, it was their teaching of the gospel to Timothy from a young age that God blessed to bring him to faith in Christ and eventually put him in the gospel ministry and used him in a mighty way after Paul was gone. Now, Paul most likely brings up these things here to strengthen Timothy, Timothy against the fear that he may have had of the persecution that he was probably going to suffer as he followed in Paul's footsteps. He would be inhuman to not be worried about that in some ways. Just as Paul had served God as his forefathers had done, so did Timothy. And just as Paul was harassed and hindered and persecuted by his unbelieving countrymen, even to the point of being on the brink of martyrdom, a similar trial might then await Timothy and every faithful servant of Christ as well. I think that is kind of what Paul is getting at here in our text. He's wanting to strengthen Timothy against his fears of those things. And so Paul sought to encourage him. He was well persuaded of the sincerity of Timothy's faith in Christ. In fact, in verse 5, he uses a pretty strong word there. In the ESV, it says, Paul says he was sure of it. Uh, the King James, if you've got King James in front of you, it says persuaded. It's the same word that Paul uses elsewhere in Romans chapter 8, verses 37 to 39, where he says this. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am, here's the word, sure, King James says persuaded, maybe your Bible says convinced. It's that kind of a word, the same word he uses here. For I am sure or persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how sure Paul was of Timothy's faith in Christ. That's how sure Paul was, how, how convinced he was that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Paul had no doubt about the sincerity of Timothy's faith. He had no doubt that Timothy would remain faithful to Christ in the ministry to which he had been called to follow after Paul. Well, that brings us to our third and maybe our main point of the text, and that is Paul's exhortation to Timothy to stir up the gift of God within him. He exhorts him here to stir up the gift of God within him. Look at verses 6 and 7. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you, 
through the laying on of my hands, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control or a sound mind. Now notice that Paul, uh, when you see the word therefore or the word for, Paul is connecting what he's saying here with what went before in the previous verses. So he says, for this reason, what reason? Well, the reason was that he was convinced or persuaded of the sincerity of, of Timothy's faith in Christ. And so because Paul was so convinced of the sincerity that the reality of Timothy's faith, he exhorts him also to fan into flame the gift of God that was within him. Now that word for fan into flame um, is not a bad way to put it, but it's, it's, it's got the idea of stirring up a fire, of, of kindling or rekindling a fire. Last, uh, last year our family had the privilege of going on a little vacation to Utah and Arizona on the way home. And in Arizona, we stayed, it was a, like an RV at some place, some people's uh, property there. And they had a, a fire ring or a fire pit out front of the place. So the kids, uh, the lady who ran the place came over and asked if we wanted to roast marshmallows. And that got our kids' attention. And so the idea of getting to start a fire, which we don't get to do here very often because it's illegal. Uh, they were, the boys especially, were very happy to get to start a fire. And um, one thing they learned pretty quickly was that their dad is not exactly an Eagle Scout. Uh, but we managed to get the fire going uh, somehow. And one of the things that the kids learned in a direct and dramatic way was the need to stir up the fire, to take the little poker and keep kindling the fire, keep stirring it around when the fire died down. In fact, if they recall, we tried to keep, you know, when the fire starts dying down, they wanted to keep it going. So go get some more wood, go get some more paper. And we started putting too much wood on top of the fire. But what do you think happened? It smothered the fire. You know, if you don't think about fire, you can't just keep throwing wood on it. So what did they have to do? They had to stir it up. They had to rekindle it by poking it and moving and allowing oxygen to go back in to rekindle the fire. Well, that's the, that's the idea that Paul is painting here about the gifts of God that God has given us for ministry. He's, at times, we need to be exhorted to stir up the gifts of God that he has given us that he has entrusted to us to serve him. That same thing holds true for pastors as well. Even Timothy, you know, the, the protege apprentice of Paul the Apostle, needed this kind of encouragement from Paul to stir up the gift of God when facing difficulty and persecution. And so Paul reminds Timothy of his ordination, what we think of as the ordination, uh, and the spiritual gift that God had given him for ministry when Paul laid his hands upon him. Uh, ordaining him, at least outwardly, to office. Paul's laying on of hands, we don't necessarily need to think of that as, you know, Paul had some kind of magic power to give spiritual gifts, but the laying on of hands, God in his providence connected that outward sign with the inward, re inward reality of the gifts that he had given to Timothy for the work to which he had called him in the gospel. Paul didn't call Timothy to gospel, Paul didn't ordain him, God did. And so Timothy is told here he has to stir that gift up at times, lest he give in to fear and discouragement. And so every once in a while I'll say this uh, unabashedly, pray for your pastors and elders. We at times need to stir up the gift of God within us due to timidity and fear of trouble and persecution. Timothy was no different. That's why Paul says, for God gave us not of fear, but of what? of power and of love and of self-control or a sound mind. Fear can freeze us in our traps. 
you're going to cause us to kind of back up a little bit and slow down and not be so adamant in preaching the gospel and working for the, the sake of the glory of Christ. And so Paul knew the temptation to fear. He probably knew that Timothy might have been a little bit more prone to it than others. Timothy seems to have been a little bit more on the timid side, as many of us might seem to be as well. And so he reminds him of the gift of God within him, the work of the Holy Spirit within him, uh, that it was not the Spirit's influence that made him fearful, but instead God gave them both. Notice he says, us. Paul is not talking from up here to Timothy down here. He's not saying, you know, obviously I'm never having this problem. He says God has given to us a spirit of power and love and a sound mind or self-control. That Those are the things we need to serve Christ, whether we are a pastor or anyone else who serves Christ. Power and love and self-control. That is from God alone, and that's the only thing that will enable you to stir up the gifts God has given you, to use them for God, no matter what trouble and persecution and opposition may come your way. That was true for Timothy, and that is true for pastors and elders and others today. Uh, it's true in many ways of every believer who seeks to serve Christ, that we need to stir up the gifts that God has given us. On our own, you and I, I think, at, at times are fearful and timid. In serving Christ, we can be tempted to fear and timidity on our own. We don't have power to serve God in the face of the world's onslaught and troubles. On our own, we lack love for God and love for the lost that is necessary for us to endure all things for the sake of the elect, as Paul says later in this letter. On our own, we lack the self-control or the sound mind that enables us to keep pressing on in the face of difficulty and affliction that that, that word that's translated in ESV as self-control, I think King, King James, one of them says sound mind. It's uh, interestingly enough, it's the same word that's used in, in the Gospel of Mark. In Mark 5.15, that's the uh, the account of the Gadarene demoniac. Remember the man who was in the cemetery? He's breaking chains and scaring people. And he was inhabited by a legion, a, a, a number of demons. Uh, and what happened was Jesus cast those demons into the herd of swine. They went off the cliff and they died. And it said that that man who had been formerly possessed by demons was sitting there clothed and in his right mind. That's the word Paul uses here. It's a picture of somebody who had been violently out of control, and then all of a sudden there's a calm. And they're in their right mind. They're in self-control. They're not letting the trouble around them stir them up or make them freeze from, from into inaction. These things are only given to us from God. They're only given to us from above. And so one of the things that we should be doing is seeking God in prayer in the midst of all of our difficulties, that he might work these things in us by his Holy Spirit, that he might work in us by the Holy Spirit to have power and love and self-control in such a way that we might continue to serve God whatever way that we are serving him, no matter what comes our way, no matter what troubles we may be enduring at the time. So may God revive his work in and through each of you and me. And may his, by his grace, may he work in us what's pleasing in his sight, that each one of us here may stir up the gift of God within us, as that we might serve and glorify God with the gifts that he has given to us for the building up of the body of Christ. Amen. Let's, let's pray.